0: Hallelujah. Well, let's pray. We need to pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are seated on the throne, and we're seated next to you in heavenly places. We thank you that your kingdom has come, and that your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we just thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our teacher and our guide. We thank you that he's quickening our spirits this morning. He's making us come alive as the word of God is proclaimed, the living word of God. And we plant it down in deep into our, into our hearts and we expect fruit to manifest. Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you that uh, everything that's going on in this world does not take you by surprise. Hallelujah. We thank you that uh, it's just a a kingdom that is reacting in fear because the manifestation of the children of God is beginning. We just love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're starting a new series. Um, I don't know how long this is going to go. It's going to go a long time. Um, entitled, The Best is Yet to Come, A Victorious View of the Future. This is a subject, Karis um, was planted about nine years ago, and this is a subject that I have never taught on in nine years. Whoa! Okay. exactly. We're going to start a new series looking at eschatology. What is eschatology, you ask? That's a fancy theological term for the end of things, the second coming of Christ. And there, is, there are so many different views on eschatology, on the second coming of Christ. And a lot of them, it's just like noses. Everybody has one, right? And usually he has a few holes in it. <laughs> Most people don't agree when it comes to this, this topic. Even those that agree somewhat on one issue will disagree on other part, parts of it. You have uh, uh, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, right? I'm a pan-trib. It's, all, uh, it's just going to all pan out, right? No. It's, uh, but we can agree on one thing. We can agree that Jesus Christ is Lord. He died for humanity. He rose victorious from the grave, he's seated at the right hand of God, and he will return one day. Amen? So this might be new for some of you, this, this view, this, this, this understanding, and uh, we can agree to disagree, right? I'm not a pastor that demands, or I'm not so um, insecure that I think everybody has to believe the same way that I believe that everybody has to see it the same way that I see it, right? And I would agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. So, oh, that's a joke. But anyways, I want you to know, complete honesty here, is I am not a eschatology theologian, right? These, this, the, this is not something that I came up with On my own, right? I've read many different views. As a matter of fact, my understanding and my revelation and understanding that I have on this topic has changed in the last ten years. There was probably a time that I, well, we won't go down there. But anyways, it's changed. And uh, and it's this isn't a real, uh, this isn't um, something that's original to me. But it was held by great leaders throughout. Church history. This is actually one of the oldest understandings of the um, eschatology, the second coming of Christ. Um, Great leaders that just to name some that you might be familiar with is Justin Martyr, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon. Um, You know, not not some obscure people. In Hebrews chapter ten, verse twelve. It says, but this man, speaking of Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, that's good news right there, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Jesus brought the kingdom of God, he, he made a sacrifice for sin one time forever. He's been enthroned on his, in his kingdom, and he waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Who is he waiting on? Who is he talking to? What is, who is Jesus waiting on? Who's going to bring the enemy of humanity under the feet of Jesus Christ? The church. Believers. And when we say the church, we're not just talking about people gathering in a building. We're talking about the church living life throughout in the world. The church being the church seven days a week. See, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that his kingdom has been established in the earth and throughout the entire cosmos. Satan is not taking over this world. Jesus Christ is Lord and is ruling in all the earth through his body, the church, in every nation and every tongue. His kingdom is expanding at an ever increasing rate and it will fill up the earth until every enemy is put under his foot. The church is called to disciple the nations in the ways of his kingdom. And if this generation fails, to heed our king's call, it will be passed on to the next, and it will only hasten, hasten the coming of our Lord. God's will is for his kingdom, the kingdom of God, to grow and advance until it fills the earth. Read some of his parables. That's why we have the mission statement that we have, and the, the method that we have at Cares New Testament Church. Our mission is to proclaim and expand the kingdom through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we do this? By activating the church in the grace and faith of Christ to take their vocation to their location, affecting the situation for the kingdom of God. And what, and, and what are these vocations? What What is the, these locations that, that we're supposed to be infiltrating? What are these areas of life that we need to Change the hearts and minds of humanity. Where are these places that we're supposed to bring kingdom values and kingdom understanding backed up with the power of the Holy Spirit into? Here's some of them. Religion. Does, do we need some kingdom values and, and, and Holy Spirit power back into the realm of religion? The family. Come on now. Our family. I, I've been reading a book, man, the statistics on the family and how there is is a planned assault to destroy the family, the traditional family, the family that God founded, that God instituted, that he says was good. Business. We need to infiltrate into the business world. Government, hallelujah education. A lot of the stuff we're facing right now is because the church has failed to infiltrate the education system, and they have been given a false philosophy of this utopia of socialism and communism, and it's destructive. It's the most destructive philosophy on the face of the planet. It's from the pit of hell, and we need to stand against it every opportunity that we have. The media, <laughs> amen, amen. Thank you for technology that truth can still get out. Celebration, the arts and entertainment. We need to ha- bring in some godly perspective and godly. You know, they don't even realize that every single every single movie is based off the gospel. You know, you have you have a, a, a someone that's. That's, a lo- they're in love, and then the love is lost, and then enemy turmoil comes in, and then the, rescue, the, re- the lover comes back and rescues them from destruction. That's just the gospel being told over and over again. I want to show you a vision for the future that will be the inspiration to move forward with courage Plan, imagine, dream, and believe God for greater things. To invest in the next generation and allow God to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ask or dream up according to the power that works within us. Most modern day Christians have a pessimistic view of the future. I just read, the, read just this week, I, I just love how things fall in my lap. Someone posted on on social media, and it said, it said, if people think things are bad now, just wait till the rapture happens. Like, God's going to get you. You think it's bad now, it's going to get really bad. Is this this the gospel? Is this what we as a church is supposed to be proclaiming? Is this where we're supposed to be sitting in our pews, just holding the back of the seat and just saying, well, our, our community is supposed to go to hell in a, a handbasket. It's going to get darker and darker. So we, that's, that's, that, that's good news when we see it getting darker and darker. Does that sound like God? Does that sound like the gospel? Does that sound like what Jesus Christ came to do? No. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Instead of the signs of the times being negative things that are going on in the world, could it be the positive things that are happening in the earth? Could the signs of Jesus' second coming not be the negative things that are happening, but the positive things that are happening? I, I don't care what you see is going on right now. We're living in the best times in history. There is more prosperity, less hunger, less less poverty, less sickness. People are living longer than they ever lived before. The gospel, more people are getting saved today than any other time in human history. You're just looking at the wrong kingdom. I think we just did a series on that. So I got this little chart here. It's crude, and it might have some holes in it, but it's gonna, it just gives you a visual, all right? It gives you a visual. So you have God's perfect will for humanity at the very top, right? So Adam and Eve was created. They were put in the garden in God's perfect will. But then they fell, right? They fell, and God goes, oh, no. What are we going to do? And and we get this idea that God is this reactionary God. That we do something, he reacts. He, we do something, he reacts. So we fall and, and humanity starts going down, 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 down. God reacts to the flood and brings us back up. And, and we're in the flood and then it goes pretty good for a little bit, but then it starts going down, down, down. So God interacts with the Abrahamic covenant. And that goes pretty good, but then they end up, in Egypt and things start getting worse and worse, and so God interacts and brings in the, the, the Exodus and um, the Mosaic law, and, and it, you know that went good, right? Through, through two, what? David and then Solomon, and then, so then so then, you know, the Israel just goes down, 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 down. And then all of a sudden, God interacts and brings Jesus right hallelujah but then but then we kill it kill jesus the romans and the jews kill jesus and it goes down but then the birth of the church and the baptism of the holy spirit on the day of pentecost happens and brings it up and it goes pretty good for a little bit but then it's supposed to get worse and 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 worse, and worse, and worse until it's basically hell on earth and then jesus comes back and says forget it i'm just gonna change everything and and uh you guys can't handle this, and I'm just going to intervene and take care of everything and get rid of everything, right? So that's, that's, this is most Christians' view of the Bible, the view of God, that God is reactionary, always reaction, reacting to what we can't handle and what we can't do, right? Let me just show you something different. God created Adam and Eve, and we fell. And God starts wooing humanity back to himself. He says, I had a plan from this for the foundation of the earth. And I'm going to start implementing my plan in the earth. I'm going to start revealing myself to humanity. My glory is going to continue to grow and grow in the earth. So God just starts revealing himself to humanity. And he reveals himself to humanity. And, and, and we, we learn more and more about God and the promises of God. And then Jesus shows up and, and he fulfills the law and the prophets. And he's, he's God with flesh on. We actually get to see what God is like we don't have to we don't have to wonder any more what god is like because we can look to jesus we can see how jesus acted what jesus said what jesus did and then he burst the church and the holy spirit is poured out into the whole earth something that had never happened before and and, and the glory of god has come down and the kingdom of god is established and it just Continues to grow in glory and glory and glory and glory. And then Jesus comes back for a victorious church. Which one lines up with God's identity? Which one looks like Jesus Christ in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Charles Spurgeon said, I myself believe that King Jesus will reign and the idols be utterly abolished. But I expect the same power which turned the world upside down once will still continue to do do it. The Holy Ghost will never suffer the imputation to rest upon his holy name that he was not able to convert the world. Today, today we're going to look at the phrase end times. Many believe that we are living in the end times or at least fast approaching those days that were written by the apostles almost 2,000 years ago. End times. When people talk about end times, they use different words meaning the same thing. The Bible even uses different words Different words meaning the same thing. But understand, there's a difference between end times, end days, than the day. There is a day. Right? There's a difference between times and a day. A certain point in history. There will be a day when Jesus Christ splits the sky. Amen? But we we talk, they talk about last days. Or they talk about last times. Or they talk about the end of the ages, or the, or, the, or the last hour, or the end of days. Most of the time when you hear these phrases, we, you envision certain events that will climax, culminate in the second coming of Jesus, right? Such events as the rapture, the great tribulation, the antichrist, and the end of the world. All of this adds up to this end time period, right? People also speak of signs of the end times, such as earthquakes, famines, disasters, and people falling away from the faith. All of these things we're going to discuss in much context. And and all of these things are, um, people look at is the context of the end times period that will come in the future, or has recently begun right now. But is that what the Bible teaches? Let's start by defining what the Bible meant by end times or last days. And how will we define that? Well, we'll read the Bible. In Acts chapter 2, verse 16, it says, But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, And it shall come shall be in the last days, God shall God my goodness, God says that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Here Joel defined the last days as a period when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the world. Has that happened? Peter accepted Joel's definition and believed that it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And we should also. In 1 Peter 1.20 it says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, talking about Jesus, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Here Peter said that the last days was a period with Jesus Walked on the earth. In James chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you, and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. He's writing to people, right? He's writing to them and talking about them storing up their treasure. This is one of the first epistles, one of the the first epistles written. Did anything happen? Was anything happening in Jerusalem? People were selling their property, giving it to the church, church, and the church was distributing it, right? And what happened a few years later? The Roman army came in and burned it to the ground and seized all property. James is writing this to these people that are heeding the word of the Lord. We're going to see this more and more. It says it's all going to be consumed in the last days. Is he writing this to us or is he writing this to the people living at his time? See, James understood that the last days, for the last days, to be in his lifetime when destruction was about to come upon his generation. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 18 it says children it is it is the last hour and just as you heard that antichrist is coming even now many antichrists have appeared from, from this we know that it is the last hour. So J- John defined the last hour is a period during which antichrists were active, and John believed that those antichrists were active in his lifetime. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the, to the fathers in, in the prophets, and in, in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So here the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews uses the word, the terminology, last days, to refer to a period in which God spoke to humanity through Jesus Christ while Jesus was alive on earth almost 2,000 years ago. So according to every one of these descriptions of the end times, we see that the apostles said that they lived in the end times. John is very clear and leaves no doubt when he says it is the last hour. Did John know what he was talking about? Are these words inspired by God? The answer is yes, right, you're right. So then, God also believed it was the last hour 2,000 years ago. Correct? If we agree with the apostles, and if we agree with what we can see in the Bible, then we agree that the end times took place in the first century. You're You're probably thinking... and, and you should. How could it be possible for a period called the end times to p- take place in the first century? It's because we don't truly or fully understand or and embrace the gospel and what Jesus Christ accomplished. We we, we we don't. I mean, we 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 if you <laughs> just this last Last series we did, we just realized how how man to re- if you if you really understood the gospel, you will understand that it takes faith to believe the gospel. Now I want you to know something. We're going to look at all this in detail in the weeks to come. All right. So, for my family's sake, I don't need everybody coming after me after church with yeah but yeah but. Let's just walk through this together. I'm just joking. You can ask me questions. But for a second, put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish people in the days of Jesus. Those that knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the promise of God given to them by the Old Testament prophets. They knew that God promised to make a new covenant, they knew it centered around the coming of Messiah. They knew it centered around the establishment of a new kingdom. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law and the prophets. He brought a new kingdom. He established a new covenant. And he was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. From the time of Jesus' advent to the destruction of the the temple in 70 A.D., the Jewish people experienced the end of days as they knew it. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7, it says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Wow. Oh, well, we're going to keep going. And they, and they, in verse 11. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and every everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. The entire old Jewish world was done away with. It was obsolete, and in the eyes of God, it was time for it to disappear. I know this. What did we just read? A new day had come, a better covenant established on better promises and a new kingdom, not a kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God with the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Look at this. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel in the last days, in these last times. The ends of the ages have come in these last days. It is the last days. It is the last hour. We know that it is the last hour. If we look in, at these in the context of the passage for a time reference and approach these Bible passages without any pre- preconceived idea that they are supposed to be sometime in the future, There's no question that these references reveal to the past. And in particular, to when the first apostles lived. When you understand this, it changes your whole outlook on life. When you change your end times understanding from being your future to your past, (laughs) You change your expectations for the future. You don't hide in your church and wait, wait for everything to go to hell. You go out there and live the kingdom. You go out there and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You go out there and represent the glory of God in the earth. But doesn't it say, Chad, I can hear you, that many are going to fall away from the faith. And doesn't it say that evil people will increase in the last days? In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 it says, "But the spirit explicitly says in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to the de- deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons." Paul was writing to a young pastor and, and, and turbulent times, as we're going to see in future, future, future um, teachings here. Turbulent times. He's writing to, to them. And what's he saying? He says, don't worry about it. 2,000 years from now, people are going to fall away from the faith and give heed to doctrines of demons. Paul is not talking about some time in the future, 2,000 years removed. He is exhorting Timothy, not to be surprised about what's going on right now in his life, in his church. Jude, chapter 1, verse 17, but you, beloved, who's he writing to? He's writing to somebody, right? The beloved, he's writing to his church, he says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding them of things that the apostles were speaking to them at their time in, in their place. You understand this? That they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. Jude was not talking about mockers 2,000 years from that then. what I do. He's not talking about mockers 2,000 years later. But in context, mockers that lived in his day with whom he was having to deal with and who they were having to deal with. Look look at how Josephus, a Jewish historian, described the conditions of his own people. That is the generation that witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem. This is a Jewish historian. Neither did any other city ever suffer such miseries, nor did any age ever breed a generation more fruitful in wickedness than this was. From the beginning of the world, Josephus, the war of the Jews. A Jewish historian says that the Jewish people during this time was more wicked than he he ever seen in any time. You also got to remember the cruel persecutions that were happening, both to the church, to Christians, both from the Jews and the Romans. And we're going to get into that. Christians were being tortured. Christians were being killed by their hands. False teachers and prophets, just to name a few, you had the Judaizers. You had the Gnostics that that started rising up within the church. You had these false epistles, false gospels, right? The Gospel of Thomas. You ever hear this? these things? That History Channel comes out and says, the, the lost books of the Bible. No, they were doctrines of demons that he were talking about during this time. Exactly. Can I have the worship team come back up? We can't... I think I gave you too much already. So... All of this might be completely new to some of you. Some of you might have heard this before. And I understand that it can be shocking and a little unsettling. But let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. See if it lines up with the Word. The nature of God revealed in Jesus Christ in the gospel of the kingdom. Amen? We're just scratching the surface of all these things that we're going to uncover. And next week we're going to look at three questions the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. So you, there's some homework for you. But make sure you read some of chapter 23, at least the last quarter of chapter 23, so you can go into 24 and know what had just happened. These three questions were: When will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming? And the end of the age. And Jesus answers all three of them. But know this the first century did live, the first century church did live in the end times, but we don't. We live in new times. They might have lived in the last days, but we live in a new day, in a new kingdom and a new covenant. You don't, you don't have to have a negative view of the future of the world. You can believe that in these new days, the church is going to be in a position of unity, maturity, and glory, and that the kingdom of God will continue to grow until it fills the entire earth. Now that's good news. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you are a good God and that you have faith in your church. Hallelujah. We thank you that you had a plan from the beginning of time to redeem this earth. And Heavenly Father, we just ask that in this place, in Vassar, Michigan, we will grow in maturity and understanding and do our part to bring heaven to earth, to infiltrate the spheres of influence in our community and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and the good news of Jesus Christ, to change the hearts and minds of men and women, to see them set free from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of your dear son. Heavenly Father we thank you that you have not left us powerless but you have given us Holy Spirit (laughs) hallelujah and that all things are possible through him we are in Christ, Christ is in us we are more than conquerors Mm. Heavenly Father we just ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven that the kingdom of God grow and grow and grow until it fills the whole earth, that the glory of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the work that you're doing in the church. We can see it happening. We can see an awakening happening. Hallelujah. And the enemy sees it too. Or he wouldn't be fighting so hard. There's an awakening happening, and the church is rising up. We love you. We praise you. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come for your victorious church. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.charisntc.org And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.